0: You said you'd come. Lawrence, hope you're not too late.
1: Hello, good afternoon everybody. Welcome to episode number 44 of the Wulong Talks podcast. My name is Jason and I'm the host of the show. Uh, and this week I'm joined by the full crew, so we're back together. Uh, the A-team is back and we've got a plan. Um, it may not come together quite well as Hannibal Smith's plans, but it's a plan nonetheless. Anyway, let me introduce to my left, we've got the wrestling kid, rich kid in the house. Rich kid, say what's up? What's up, what's up? Cool. And on the line we've got the Matt geek up north as well, Big A. Big A, what's up man? All right. <laughs> <laughs> Don't sound too happy to be here, Big A. That's cool. <laughs> no, no, yeah, I'm, nah, nah, I'm playing, I'm playing. <laughs> well, yeah, boys, it's been a little while since we've been back together, man. So um how's everybody keeping? What's everybody been up to? What you been doing? Have you been playing any games, watched any movies, anything like that? Um whoever wants to go first, I guess. Alvin. yeah moving off a bit of tv and all that it's the Mm. usual kind of thing cool cool what uh what did you check out the cinema
0: uh yeah i went to tomb raider pacific rim uh and ready player one okay any good what are they saying uh tomb raider you can wait for the blu-ray to be honest I don't think it's the worst adaptation of, um, of a video mm-hmm. game. But in, in some places it was bad. Like some of the CGI was pretty fucking poor. Uh, there's a scene involving a parachute where y- you're almost like, why did he even bother? Because it just looks pure fake. But, it, um, but it look, if you sorry. play the 2013
2: reboot, mm-hmm. uh, I think you'll probably quite enjoy it. So, so the fakeness that you're talking about, does it look more fake than Indiana Jones when Sheila Booth is swinging through the trees and the monkeys?
0: it's to the point where you you think wait was that scene filmed in someone's house like the, the close-up shots oh, that's, that's nice. how bad it is yeah Cause you can tell it's super blue screen and and the trees and all that are just like cgi and like it's just proper bad like <clears throat> that's the main bad part about it but there are some other things about it i mean it's not the kind of huge Humanized, like, bitch, she's an actual character, unlike in the Angelina Jolie movies. Mm-hmm. But uh, I thought it was better than the Jolie movies, to be honest. Yeah. Um, it's still not up to the standard that I would like, but it's a throwaway experience, pretty much, more or less. That's what I'm saying. You may as well just wait for the Blu
2: ray. Okay. There's meant to be a scene that everyone's talking about where she does this rope climb up like some side of a mountain or something like that. Uh, uh, do, you know, do you know what scene I'm talking about? Because the way how people have described the scene in the film, like, I, I want to see the film just because of that. You know, I'm a sucker for, like, action and, and stuff. But do you know what I'm saying? I'm talking about?
0: you trying to remember. The only, the only climbing I remember, there's a bit later on in the movie where um, there's a rope, but she don't climb no rope. She just does, like, shit barehanded. Oh, yeah, 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 it's yeah. Not, yeah. yeah it's not that's the
2: like a scene. A scene. Yeah, it's, but it's meant to be really, really good, because, like, apparently she did it in, like, for real. There's no wires or anything like that. It's seconds, and then it's gone. it's not a a scene, so to speak. Ah, okay. I'll wait for the Blu-ray. Thanks, Alvin. (laughs) (laughs) And what about the
1: other movie everybody's talking about, Ready Player One? Um, What did you make of that one? You know what? All the changes that they made from the books
0: made sense for the film, so I wasn't offended by any of the changes. I knew there was going to be major changes. Even from the very beginning, um which is like there's a race scene which is like fucking wicked uh, and it's nothing like the first kind of um the first kind of task that's in the book that they have to complete mm. um but in the book is way way super cryptic um you get none of wade in school to be honest it kind of skips over that and kind of like goes into explaining the oasis and uh, james halliday dying and him leaving behind like the easter egg and saying yo you've got to find it and all this kind of business and mm. then uh and then yeah the race is the first thing And um, from then on, I was just like, okay, I may as well kind of forget the book. I know there'll be kind of like bits of it in the film. And there is actually a major bit of the book which happens like way later on uh, in the book, but they change the character it happens for, but it totally works for the film. Like all changes work for the film. And there's a fantastic bit in the middle um, involving a very famous film, which I I was super surprised that this was even in there. But like... That bit was insane because i need to go back and see as to how much was cgi how much they actually ripped from the film and then superimposed things onto it um but yeah i I enjoyed it overall like even i I was well still ill at the time but um but yeah all the changes made sense it was good i I enjoyed it like some people seem to really hate the fact that it references things (laughs) and i'm just like well why, though? Like, why is that the reason to hate something? Like, just watch the enjoyable fucking CGI fest in front of you. And also, another complaint is that it's too Spielberg. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? That That's why you want to go and see a Spielberg film, for the Spielbergness.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. And um, lastly, Pacific Rib. What
0: Pacific uh, rib I be. It's, it's a doobie. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to fucking try and sit here and fucking make out, like, Pacific Rim was ever the smartest thing ever for some reason since Guillermo Del Toro's won like uh, an, an Oscar, everyone's going on about the first Pacific Rim like it was fucking rocket science when it literally wasn't, you know what I mean? It was just a, a simple dumb movie. This one is a little bit dumber and a little more simple but I want to get to fucking robots fighting punching shit and and it did that so I was entertained and as well, they do set up a third one at the end Um but yeah, I mean, overall, it's, it's it's like, I saw an IMAX. I think it's worth seeing an IMAX. Um, but if you like fucking robots and monsters and like seeing fucking fight, then yeah, go and see the movie. Okay.
1: okay. Oh, cool. Cool, man. Cool, cool. Well, it looks like you've been busy, boy. So um, yeah, <laughs> it's good that you have been because uh, I- I've been busy but not with movies unfortunately uh not had a lot of time for movies recently so um for those of you who are used to listening to our movie review podcast those will be back soon um we just haven't really had much time to to kind of get everything together for that but um not to worry i said the movie reviews will be back soon um rich kid we've been up to man and we've been watching
2: Uh ah, uh i tried to get back into what the second half of this walking dead malarkey and i just couldn't do it oh, the second half of season <laughs> eight, Second half you know whatever the fuck you want to call it i couldn't get into it right <laughs> like i i generally tried like i i wanted to because you know at this point you're, you're dedicated you're, you you you've got a relationship with with these people and um you want to treat them good but i i just don't care anymore like um yeah like i, I think i watched the. F- well the the first episode of this second half or whatever you want to call it where what's his name spoiler alert um carl grimes dies from the the zombie bite and then i think i saw the next episode after that and it just felt boring it like the budget's gone down the act yeah it is is not how it started out and um so that's i watched that and then um I, i watched another show um, which is produced by Idris Elba, and it's on Sky One. And I'm, um, for the life of, the, I'm actually really sorry, but I've actually forgotten what the what the what the name the name of the show is called. Jason's just gonna look it up now. Mm, yeah, but it's set yeah. in the '80s, and it's uh, about an African family, and uh, the African dad, his brother comes from Ghana to come and live with them, and it's about them just you know living in the UK during the '80s, and it's it's stupidly funny. It's so so funny, and um. It's called, it's called The Long Run. That's what it's called. It's called The Long Run. And um, it just reminded me of just like growing up in that era and just having aunties and uncles just come into your house, just, you know, no matter what, you know, you just get that letter through the letterbox and they say that your, aunt, your uncles come to stay with you for a little while and it ends up being something like four years or something <laughs> ridiculous, <laughs> you know. And um, yeah, and it was just a really enjoyable watch and it's the type of thing where you don't actually have to be, you know, African or black to enjoy it. It, you know there's just a family is, is based from there but it's got a wide array of characters uh and it's got like really really good nods to things from the 80s so um the clothing is, is dead on point there's lots of references to shows from that period as well so yeah i'm, I'm really enjoying it i actually need to finish that season so i'm um, good in interest for doing that i also watched uh suicide squad hell to pay which is the the most recent movie from the dc animated universe and um it wasn't bad. It w- it was okay. It's weird because I look at like the DC animated universe and they started off really, really well. Uh, especially in where they were keeping storylines tied to each other. So each movie would you know would be a-, a knock-on effect from the last one. But um the past few, they just seem to have like dropped the ball somewhat. And I'm not sure if they're just trying to test waters by trying to Get some characters and trying to push them to the forefront to see if there's something that they can do with them later on down the line, whether it be merchandise or you know, or, or toys or anything like that. But it, it, it was an okay watch, it was not better than the first one. Um, and it had some interesting plot lines, which does link back to one of the DC animated movies, but it's something that they really only touch upon in the last 10 minutes of it. And you're just like, well, you know, if you'd made that like the main plot run throughout the whole thing would have been a lot more interesting. So um, I'm not going to give any any spoilers as to what it is, but it's definitely worth a watch just for that. And then uh, what else have I been doing? I think that's about it, to be honest. And just so obviously the whole comic book run, I'm back onto Nightwing, just picked up a, a recent issue of Nightwing, which has uh, picked up the pace thanks to um, the recommendation by the big A. And, um, and that's it really, yeah cool cool all good all
1: good all good yeah that's a lot there and well um listeners you've got a lot of recommendations there and things that you can catch up on already so um if you do catch up with any of those shows or, or any of those movies um let us know what you think of them uh, we, if you listen to the end of the podcast so there'll, there'll actually be a short trailer at the end where you'll be able to find out our contact information and, and how you can get a hold of us so make sure you do get in touch with us um if you do because we want to hear from you uh for me i didn't really get to watch a lot of stuff in the the cinema. Unfortunately, I've been traveling a lot, but um, I did watch two movies on Netflix. Now, Uh, with Netflix at the moment, there seems to be um, this conversation being had with a lot of fans and, and people around who are saying that you know Netflix's movies are not quite the same as their TV shows. In the sense that the movies that they've committed to um, to produce it and putting out there, the quality isn't quite the same as, as some of their long form TV shows. And I mean, it's hard to disagree with that when you consider that they put out like death note, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like you, you can't really disagree when, when they, they're doing things like that, but they had two big movies come out recently. So while I was traveling, I was able to watch both of them. So the first one I watched was a movie called the outsider, um, starring Jared Leto and Totonobu Asano and and a few other familiar faces as well. Um, bottom line is, it's poor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was a really, really poor movie um it meanders a lot it doesn't really go anywhere in terms of the plot um jared Mm -hmm. leto does his best corpse impression throughout the whole film and and basically I, i don't know if they were going for some kind of like man with no name clint eastwood style character but he he's not the guy for that so yeah, no, it really wasn't a good idea to have him, just lots of scenes of him not saying much. Um, to be honest, the only people who are going to really like that film are Jared Leto fans, as far as I'm concerned. So um, anybody else is is really not going to be that interested in the movie. But hey-ho, if you want to check it out, check it out. Um, and the only other thing that I got to kind of sit down and watch intently and properly was uh, Annihilation. Um, the latest film from uh, the British filmmaker Alex Garland, um, who was the writer and director behind Ex Machina. Um, and this is his new movie starring Natalie Portman and um, Tessa Thompson, Gina Rodriguez, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee. And, you know, there's a, there's a couple of other recognizable faces. Oscar Isaac, of course, is in it as well. Um, and, you know, that that movie I thought was, was quite interesting. It, it's not perfect. Um, it is a bit slow in some areas, even for me, and I don't mind slow normally. I'm quite happy with slow if if it means we're going to expand on characters and things like that. But it is a bit slow in some places. But what I liked about the, the movie and, and what I like about Alex Garland's work in general is that he's not afraid of embracing the the kind of old-school sci-fi concepts Um, you know the other day me and Richard were were kind of having we were having a private conversation and we were talking about kind of you know what sci-fi used to stand for was was kind of the big ideas you know these big concepts it was a way of people exploring um, ideas about humanity and what humanity is capable of and where we can go from from where we are now and and and, you know all of these kind of issues that that we used to address um and then somewhere along the way the way you know big budget sci-fi kind of has fallen into just either being you know relying on big spectacle or relying on you know shocks to draw in the audience um and so a little bit of that has been lost. You know, Arrival, some, in some ways, does try and kind of harken back to that that type of sci-fi. Um, but, yeah, a lot of that old-school sci-fi um, is gone. But it's great that we're now starting to see uh, a comeback a, 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 of that type of sci-fi for me, especially with um, Blade Runner 2049, which I haven't seen yet, but Richard has seen. And, and um, Rich, I know you were saying, you know, it was amazing. and I loved it. it. It kind of... Um, from what I know of the movie, it, it seems like a movie that also is, is, is dealing with you know the big ideas and, and the ideas about identity and, and humanity and all of those kind of things that sci-fi is usually very strong at, at dealing with. Um, so annihilation itself, yeah it, it feeds very well in, into that kind of um, that kind of idea. Uh, the performances throughout are all pretty strong, I felt. Um, CGI was pretty good as well considering um, the budget and uh, some of the special effects are really fantastic. Um, There's one scene in particular that's really, really creepy and well played out Um, so that's worth checking out and all in all, yeah, I would say, you know, Annihilation is worth a watch. I said it is a little bit slow, so you are going to have to, to be kind of patient with it. But it is very interesting in terms of what it is that it's the, the movie is trying to do and the message it's trying to get across. So, yeah, that was us, really. That's that's the stuff we've been watching. So um, let's crack on, shall we? Now. Yeah. Uh... We've got a couple of things to to cover today. Um, We are going to have a quick look. Oh, yes, we need to um, quickly, before we move on, actually, just mention um, that on the 4th of April, so a couple of days ago, it was the uh, 21st anniversary of the passing of of a pretty um, phenomenal comic book artist and somebody who was a true pioneer in the industry, um, a man called uh, William Graham, who was known as, as Billy Graham um in circles he he worked for marvel comics um predominantly during the the 1960s to sort of 1980s um and if anybody is familiar with kind of marvel comic books from that era then they're definitely going to know his work um he worked on on that classic jungle action comic book with with don mcgregor um gave Black Panther that, that legendary run that there really um, a lot of people who are writing Black Panther now kind of are, are influenced by. Um, he was also somebody who was the first artist to draw uh, Luke Cage um, and to help create that character visually. Um, so the classic sort of Luke Cage look of, of the yellow shirt, the jeans, the chain, that all came from Billy Graham. That that was all his, his look. Um, so he worked on that. He obviously worked on Power Man and Iron Fist, the original series as well. So he, he drew both of those characters. Um, and he worked on a lot of horror comic books as well. Um, he worked on vampire tales. Um, there was another one that Marvel was doing at the time. that I can't remember the name of now. The name escapes me, but he was involved in that. Um, and I believe he did actually draw uh, Blade. Um, originally, as well, when he was introduced in uh, the Tomb of Dracula book, so um, a lot of the comic uh, comic book characters characters that you'd be familiar with, he was actually involved in. So, I think it's worth all of us who are, who are fans of, of that era to, to go and have a look at his work and and um, you know really kind of just remember the the people who who came before us and who helped us to to kind of foster our our passions and our dreams and. You know, people like him had to go through a, a great deal of adversity in order to to get to where they are. So it's it's always good to remember people like that. So if you want to look him up, um, there is an account on Instagram, I believe, that you can find. So um, if you type in uh, Biddy Graham artist, he should come up on Instagram there um sorry it's the artist billy graham that's what it is so yeah if you type in artist billy graham on instagram um the account will come up and then that will take you to his uh, official facebook page as well um and that will tell you a bit more uh, about the artist and and what kind of things his estate are doing to um remember his work and his memory all right um yeah let's move on i said because we've got a couple of other topics to get through as well um Yeah, we had the official announcement for the Spider-Man game. It's now being released on the 7th of September uh, of this year. I think everybody is looking forward to it. Um, Boys, you're looking forward to it, right? Yep. Yeah. And Alvin, you can't get it because you ain't got a PS4. Oh, shoot. You you should buy one. You should buy one just because. (laughs) Buy one for that. Well,
0: this is the thing. I am contemplating getting a PS4 now. because I was only (laughs) joking. (laughs) i <laughs> living that big boy
2: right?
1: <laughs> sorry go now
0: yeah go over one. world's wicked so mm. like I actually was comp- contemplating getting one anyway but I don't know it depends on it it depends how good it is because
1: it could all just be smoking mirrors for you, who knows could be but i mean um from what i've seen in the gameplay trailers i actually kind of like what what they're doing with this Mm, game mm. Um, i think it's got a, a lot of potential yeah and um i guess the key will be you know how how open world it is um so does it feel like it's a proper open world game and also, you know, the, um, the the kind of replayability of it, as in, will there be enough content within the game? Because potentially there should be, if you think of Spider-Man as a, as a comic book character and how many other characters are connected to him, then mm. there should be lots of opportunity for for different types of gameplay and things like that. But yeah, as I said it will a lot would depend on you know how the the game mechanics work and things like that. But it looks like they've invested quite heavily in that from what we've seen. So, um, yes, yeah, so on my wish list, I'm, gonna, I'm definitely going to get rich.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, one, I think another thing that you said when you mentioned mechanics, I think the, the, the longevity of the game, that's not even going to be too much of an issue, I think, because you can have a short game and a game can be freaking awesome. So like, I, I think I look at like Batman Arkham Asylum, and that was a, a wicked game, but it was super, super short, but it was so dense. That it left you wanting more so that when the sequel came out like you were just like, okay, okay cool fuck it. i'm gonna snap it up and you won't even cuss him when you finish the first one i think all of those things that you said i'm not this i'm not disputing them at all in the slightest but i'll tell you what it does boil down for me personally is the mechanics of how you play as spider-man i think that's how it is it's like you're gonna have to want to be spider-man in that game which is which is you know like Avenue you were saying it might be all smoke and mirrors but from what i can gather it seems like they've they've nailed it down to, to a T. Um, I'm not sure if you played the Arkham asylum Gate or any of the Arkham games or Batman, but the main thing I mean, apart from you know swinging around, you know, let's say you know, Gotham City and interacting with Alfred and you know and um, James Gordon whatever, it's the stuff you can do as Batman that literally for me ties the whole game together. So, for example, just you know sitting on top of a gargoyle, going to infrared see the amount of people that are there drop down into the middle and you start doing combos Like, (laughs) listen man like that is the best feeling ever (laughs) (laughs) like that's the closest that any of us will get to batman (laughs) especially if you're black because you know black people don't have money so so, so, yeah but um yeah i'm looking i'm really looking forward to the the spider-man game and i'm i think i'm going to get the special edition which comes with um a statue because you know you guys i'm you know guys know i I collect statues and stuff um I'm, i'm a sucker for that um but yeah i, I can't wait
1: hmm. yeah no doubt man no doubt so um yeah listeners let us know if you're interested in the spider-man game as well and if it's on your wish list or if it isn't um yeah let us know man we'd be interested to hear what you think on that one all right one last piece of of news before we, we move on and this is a slightly sad piece of news um that only kind of i discovered today well i think today it was announced officially, anyway um, that the co-founder of Studio Ghibli, um, his name is, uh, Asao Takahata, um, he has passed away, unfortunately. Um, although he was, to be fair, he's had a good innings, he was 81, I think he was, or something like that. Um, but he was somebody who, you know, along with, uh, Miyazaki had kind of started the dream that is, you know, Studio Ghibli, which is one of the world's most, um, successful movie studios now. Respected. Um, yeah, 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 very much so, as, as you said, respected around the world. So, um, you know, they've really kind of built um, the, the Studio Ghibli brand into something that that, um, you know, is ingrained in pop culture now. Um, Takahata himself was a director of uh, a movie as well called uh, My Neighbors the Yamadas, um, which is one of the, the kind of classic Ghibli movies as well and was really, really fun. Um, to watch a really funny movie as well, actually. It's surprising how kind of funny and, and humorous it was. So, yes, yeah, very sad um, news that we've had that come along there. But, um, you know, as said, people will continue to, to keep the memory alive as long as Studio Ghibli stays around, which I think it will. Um, and as long as, you know, people continue to watch those Studio Ghibli movies, then, you know, the, the dream and the magic of, of what they've created will, will continue. So, Yeah, we're good to go. (laughs) All right, um, let's move on, shall we? So, um, Rich, you had a a challenge for us, I guess you would say. Um, Well, not even a challenge so much, but I guess it was more kind of a talking point um as you know listeners we you know we're geeks so we kind of have these kind of conversations amongst ourselves all the time so we decided why not have one like on the microphone where everybody can hear it so um richie had a a kind of topic i guess for us to discuss so
2: shoot man yeah well basically it came off the whole conversation that we had about you know sci-fi and what sci-fi used to stand for and what it is now and um And I remember just sitting down and just thinking, like, there's certain things that I actually miss, whether it be in comic books, whether it be in animation, whether it be in film or television, or whether it be in books. But, like, it it seems like, I wouldn't say that things have become stale, but if you want to look for original things or original content, it's getting harder and harder to basically find it because people are, you know, almost scared to, you know, try something different. Um, Case in in example would be, um, you know, all of these uh, big, you know, uh, companies, you know, film companies now went to all of a sudden create universes, you know, wanting to make franchises. And, you know, what happened to the days of just like, just, you know, for example, just seeing one film and loving and enjoying that one film. So like, I was just thinking about that and just going, you know, there's certain certain scenes or certain things I've read or heard, and I wish I still had moments like that, because they like you just can't get those things back. So basically what I said is that, you know, you don't have to do all three, but something from film or television, something from a uh, comic book and maybe something from, you know, like a like I say like a like a book. One scene that always sticks out in your head that rem- that you know that reminds you about the reason why you love being a geek and no one can take that privilege away from you. So I I mean I can go first. I mean like mm-hmm. yeah. what I chose was uh for, well the first one was from a comic book and it was un- was was uncanny x-men yeah it was no just x-men issue 25 and it was the final part of a storyline called fatal attraction i'm not even going to bore you with the details of a fatal attraction storyline because it's neither here nor there and quite a lot of people is quite divided amongst who likes it and who doesn't like it but it ends with uh magneto literally losing a plot and Wolverine going, OK, listen, we've done it. I think he actually says this in it. I think he say, he does a line of, we've actually done this dance too many times. And he actually goes to kill Magneto. And Magneto goes, you know what? Every time we've done this dance, we were playing by the rules. You guys have actually pushed the boundaries so far. We're gonna, I'm going to end this dance. And he ends up ripping the adamantium off of uh, Wolverine's bones. And, um, and I just remember seeing that. It was like a two-page spread. It was, it was drawn by Andy Kubert who's one of the keeper brothers who were like you know amazing artists and i remember just literally just sitting there just looking at this two page spread and it was just so graphic and just going like fuck me like where does it go from here and then you know and then like just being like just amazed like that's the first time you'd ever seen anybody do anything of such callousness because he he intended to kill Wolverine so even if he didn't kill Wolverine he took away one of the things that makes Wolverine who he is and so, basically, obviously, he had the next issue come out, and it's Wolverine healing up, and his his healing factor is kind of being shot out. You know, it's it's been put into into overdrive, and so they, he's talking to Professor X, and he's like, "Listen, put me back in the field," and Professor X basically goes, "You know, okay, let's give you a little bit a bit of a training run in in the Danger Room," and Wolverine's handling the training room pretty well and everything, and he asks Professor X to turn it up turn it up to ten, and it's uh, Wolverine fighting against a Sentinel, and. The Wording by Scott Lobdell, who is another, I think, undersold writer who did some amazing work in the 90s for X-Men, is he doesn't even put dialogue to the characters. He just puts, um, you know, like the little boxes, just describing what's going on. And he goes on to describe this bit where you actually see Wolverine, It's another double page, um, double page spread. Wolverine ends up running away from this sentinel. And it describes how everybody who's watching this fight watching this training um, training scene is astonished and amazed because they all see something that they've never ever seen before anywhere and they have never heard anybody mention this and they see the look of fear on wolverine's face and wolverine gets cornered by this sentinel and just out of instinct he pops his claws and then adamantium and a bone and their bone claws and i kid you not i lost the fucking plot i was like oh my god so he has claws and they're like bone claws And literally, I mean, this just opened up so many stories. And and to be honest, probably some of of the best Wolverine stories from, you know, from the 90s into the early 2000s as well, about him trying to reclaim the thing that makes him the best at what he does and what he does isn't pretty. But uh, I just always remember that scene. And and, and I miss things like that. I I just miss scenes like that that just make me want to run to the comic book store when I'm about five minutes away because I'm scared that someone might buy the last issue of something that I enjoy reading so that there's that so I don't know if you guys want to do a comic book scene or you know or book scene or whatever um I was trying to think of a comic book scene I can't really like no you know
1: what it would have to be would have to be um in terms of things that that I suppose kind of solidify why you're a geek is is probably um probably infinity the original um infinity Gauntlet yeah. series when um the heroes first arrive on, um, on uh, Oh God, I've forgotten the name of the planet that they're on now, but um, when they first arrived to confront Thanos and he's got the infinity um, coordinate. Yeah. And I remember just reading it and like, there was a chill kind of going <laughs> up and down my spine as Thanos was just kind of taking out everybody. I remember clearly when he um, suffocates Cyclops. Yeah. When he puts the box on his head and Cyclops and Captain America kind of like is holding him and he's going, you've murdered him. You're a psycho, like you've murdered him. And Thanos is just like, it just kind of like, I don't care. Like mm. <laughs> you're all trying to stop me from, from uh, you know, from achieving my goal. Um. And he destroys the Hulk. And I remember like, oh my God, like how has he beaten the Hulk mm-hmm. Like <laughs> at that point? In, in comic books, you know, the Hulk was unbeatable. Mm. Um, and even though he had, you know, opponents who he faced and he would face him in a confrontation, get beaten down, but he'd come back and, you know, he'd always kind of deal with the situation. Um, in in Infinity Gauntlet, when he goes to confront Thanos, Thanos handles him like he's a little boy and just kind of like, you know, it's just, it's just mm. ridiculous, the, the ease with which he does it. And um, it's the way that that story is written as well by by Jim Starlin. Yeah, he kind of he understood um, how to kind of create tension and jeopardy for for heroes that you cared about, you know, because by this point, obviously, Marvel heroes had been around for quite a while. You know, we were all invested in in what their outcome, what their outcomes were going to be and how safe they were going to be and so on. So, you know, you cared about the characters. And um, in this scene, it just it just was brutal the way he did mm, it, and it mm. wasn't necessarily graphic. It was just brutal because of the way that these people that you cared about were being just brushed aside, left right. The center. callousness of it, and yeah, and the casualness, and yeah, the casualness of it. That's what it was. It. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, it was yeah. like he was that's Thanos was
2: just casual when he was pulling off those things, man. Mm. <laughs> like,
1: yeah, it was just it, oh, it was brutal. I, I think that is one like kind of because I think that that whole battle with him doesn't even last the that long i think it might be about four or five pages i mean there's the memorable scene with cap as well who who kind of walks up and confronts him and you know is 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 doing the captain america thing it's like Mm. listen i'm not going to back down so Mm. you're going to have to you want to you know you want to win here you're going to have to kill me like because that's the only way this this thing ends and um you know i remember like him putting up his shield and thanos just like shattering his shield with with almost one blow and you were just like oh my god like what is going mm. on here like Shield has been destroyed like do you understand how how dangerous this thing is and then i remember um one also thing that i remember the snap fingers yeah snap. snap of the finger kick yeah. that got me that when got me just different. wipes out yeah. like half the, the universe with, with a snap of his fingers once he's got all the the gems mm. Oh it's crazy. Um people if you're if you're Avengers uh, movie fans if you're MCU fans and you're looking forward to Avengers Infinity War and you want to get a taste of what it's going to be like um number 1 prepare yourself for some losses because there's yeah. going to be some pain in that movie. Number 2 go and read that comic book run um from as I said from Jim Starlin the uh, Infinity Gauntlet I think it's called um the original one. Um because that that's some you know some brilliant writing it really is. It's it's some amazing stuff. So um, yeah, go and check that out, man, for sure. Um, Alvin, what about you, bro? Any um, comic book suggestions? Yeah, chapter four of Watchmen, uh, which is
0: called Watchmaker. Yeah. Mm. In the chapter, it's uh, when Dr. Manhattan, um, after getting like outed by the press for like supposedly causing people to, uh, to have cancer, um, he exiles himself to, to Mars. Uh, and what you get is kind of like his history, but also, at the, at the same time, they don't actually tell you it. You just kind of have to figure it out for yourself. Um, but it turns out that from the moment he's Dr. Manhattan, he doesn't experience time like, like a normal person. It's not yeah. linear. He's experiencing his uh, choices and consequences and everything else up until the point where like, the tachyons are stopping him like experience the future. He's experiencing all of that in one in one it's almost like he's multitasking in mm. time every decision everything he's saying he knows as to whether he's telling the truth or a lie or not because he's telling the lie and the truth at the same time yeah. like when he said to his wife that he, he wasn't really interested in Laurie or anything like that and he wasn't playing away from home he knew that years later he would leave his wife because he was experiencing that at the same time and that that concept, it took me a while because I remember like reading it and then having to go back to the beginning again because it's like, why is it jumping about so much? And then, like, when the penny just finally dropped as I was like reading it, I was just like, that's one of the sickest things and one of the craziest concepts. And I've, I've never read anything like that before or since. And I, I just think it's one of the best kind of like ideas that I'd like seen reading had it spat out to you but they don't actually spell out to you you just have to figure out like i think some people may read that chapter of watchmen and not realize what's going on and think it's just history being recited but it actually it's actually way more than that
1: mm, mm. i mean alan moore was one of them writers who's just way ahead of his time yeah. man. i mean like i was very close to picking um viva vendetta and the scene where um he and evie first meet um and the way that he explains his philosophy to Evie in the book, um, is just uh, amazing. Like and and I said, it's he was one, of the, you know, Moore was is really a writer who was kind of ahead of his time in terms of what he understood, you know, that the comic book didn't have as many limitations as some writers thought it did. Mm. That, that there was actually so much more you could do within the medium in terms of how you told your stories and yeah, you just picked like a perfect example, of him as as you said, with um, the way that he plays around with time in the Watchmen. It, it, and drugs. It makes so much sense. Yeah, <laughs> <And> drugs, yeah, because <laughs> yeah, obviously you
2: need to be high as hell, <laughs> high as hell. I think he was. I actually think that Adam Moore probably is Doctor Manhattan. Fuck that, because because he's written some amazingness before. <laughs> <laughs> he has. He's written some absolute
1: madness. So I don't, I don't know, but um. Yeah, no, those are good choices, guys, man, for sure. So, listeners, if you're uh, comic book fans and you've got, you know, a specific comic book that you read or a comic book scene that you read that that really resonated with you for some reason or another, then, as said, let us know, man. Um, We love hearing from you. Um, And we'll absolutely read out your suggestions. Um, And what we'll do next week is uh, next week we'll we'll have another conversation around the same thread, but we'll probably pick a movie – or a book or a video game or something like that so for the next couple of weeks we'll, we'll do that um and we'll try and involve you as much as we can as well so we'll put some stuff out on social media and try and get you involved so because i said we want to hear from you too so um we'll definitely do that over the couple of weeks okay well um we're pretty much at the point where we need to do our big one which is um <laughs> something that you know we've been waiting ever since we started this podcast pretty much we've been waiting to have this this particular discussion um we've had to wait patiently richard's had to wait patiently and it's not been easy for him but we finally arrived <laughs> This week as you know was the uh, 20th anniversary of uh, the seminal anime series Cowboy Bebop. Fuck yeah. I <laughs> <laughs> said richard has been waiting to talk about this for a long time. So, you know, he's um he's in a good place right now. Well, we all are man because we're fans here and um you know, those of you who who know the show, um first up welcome to the club <laughs> we salute you second of all um as you may or may not know i mean our initial name actually comes from that that tv show as well um Wulong is is a reference to the currency that's used in the show so it's actually a form of money so that's where um the name woolong talk comes from um not because we talk money but you know because we love talking about geek stuff so mm. yeah that's <laughs> that's where the Wulong talks name comes from so For those of you who have been listening to us and following us and wondering why now you know so yeah i said this was the uh, 20th anniversary this week of of the show first airing. um richard first of all i mean what is your first kind of memory of watching the show um when it came on and and how how did you find out about it because we didn't really have like you know back then we didn't have as much regular access to the internet as we do now so you Mm. know how did you kind of stumble across
2: it 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 was just random like i'm someone who's always had quite weird sleeping patterns and it's something that's only just started to maybe come to some form of normalcy uh now that i've got a child uh but i mean like i mean i i still maybe go to bed around let's say two o'clock on some nights and wake up around let's say seven um but back then, when I was younger, me and my me and my 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 stepbrother, wow, like our sleeping patterns was ridiculous. So it just happened by chance that I mean, one night uh, we were just watching. I think it was like cable. Yeah, he had cable. sky he had cable, and there's a, there was an announcement for a channel called uh, Tsunami, and then, and they kind of like just made this mention that there was going to be like a, an adult type of segment uh, after a certain after a certain time, and they were going to you know show these show these these two shows uh, one was called cowboy bebop and one was uh, was outlaw star now the actual show the actual advert itself was actually voiced by spike from cowboy bebop and i was like wow that like, that just that just blew my mind I was like fucking out, like they've taken this cartoon character and got him to narrate the actual advert of the show that he's going to star in so that's breaking the fourth wall in so many different levels and i was just hooked from seeing like the clips of the show and everything and I remember me and my brother actually went out that night to go uh, meet a couple of girls because you know we we're, were young and single and full of other stuff. And um, and in meeting these girls, it got to a certain time. And I remember turning around to him, going like, "Hey, bro, like, we, we need to go home, man." And he was like, "What? What's, what's going on?" I was like, "That show, Cartoon Beat, that, that you know, that show, Cowboy Bebop's gonna come on." And I remember the girls turning to us and going like, "Excuse me, how old are you?" And I was like, "Yeah, like, listen, we, we can just meet up tomorrow." I remember, like my brother saying, like, "Okay, let's hold on, let's hold on, let's hold on," and we ended up like smoothing it over with the girls and everything, and having to run home to go and watch Cowboy Bebop, and that's my first introduction of of the actual show itself. And ended up watching that first ep- episode that night, and they actually repeated it because Tsunami only had uh, a certain amount of shows, so they would just repeat it through the night up till around I think six or seven in the morning. And I think yeah, I ended up, I ended up watching it, I think twice. In one night and i was i was literally just sold from there it was it's best best one of the best times of my life cowboy bebop watching it any show uh, any episode and the first time i watched it um and any form of merchandise that i might have or may have seen is up there with the birth of my first son
1: <laughs> i kid you not <laughs> He's not lying, that's it. He's <laughs> not lying. Like, God has <laughs> me down. I'm he's waiting. not being dramatic for the sake of, <laughs> uh, of your um, attention listeners. He's not. Um, Alvin, how about you? How did you kind of come across cowboy people originally?
0: Uh, the first time I came across it was um, when I was big time into the Matrix. Uh, I was watching the Animatrix, which I had on, uh, on DVD. I was watching the extras. And there's like this anime documentary on it where they're kind of talking about the history of anime. <clears throat> um, like, among some of the stuff that they mentioned uh one of them was cowboy bebop um and like they only show a short clip um from all the earlier episodes um and and yeah it, it kind of always stayed with me where i was like oh i'm gonna have to check that at some point um and then it wasn't until oh no maybe 2008 2009 when they were showing it on a channel on sky and I forget what the channel was called, but it was on pretty late. And uh, I'd set Sky Plus to record. But I think they were showing more than one episode a night, but I didn't realize. So I actually missed a lot of episodes. Uh, and I think I only watched a small handful. And then I thought, oh, you know, I'm going to have to get this on uh, on DVD at some point. And then, yeah, um, when they re-released the DVDs, at, was it, what, 2010, 2011? Um, actually, it might have been 2010. And then yeah, I got it then, and then yeah, I watched the hot pretty much watched the whole thing, and then uh and then watched the movie afterwards and ordered the movie at some point. And and yeah, it's just extremely satisfying because it was episodic, yet there was also an overarching story as well. Uh the animation was shit hot, especially for uh what 98. Um, there's some digital stuff in there as well, which was really good. And yeah, it was just it was just well done. I mean, it reminded me of a lot of things I'd already seen such as like firefly but if anything that would have been influenced by cab with bebop because i came before um so so yeah no it was cool yeah just i just dug it i thought it was fucking cool as fuck
2: i I didn't know you got into it that late i thought you were there like from from like early um wow okay cool cool i'm not judging you yes we (laughs) are we're (laughs) we're silently judging you (laughs) No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding.
1: Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. No. I mean, uh, it, it's interesting that people are still kind of discovering the the series to this day. Which oh, the is, phenomenon. Yeah. Which is, um, you know, it it kind of speaks to the quality of of the show and the longevity of the show because you know you consider how many anime series there's been ever since that the first time it was released, um, which I think was in august of 1998 i think it was i can't remember now um but i think it was august 1998 that it first came out let me just double check so to make sure no it was april in japan um and october internationally it looks like um so yeah since 1998 it's still relevant you know to to people today um and you kind of touched a little bit alvin on the legacy of the, the show as well and how it influenced other things Rich we'll get you in on that as well um but what were the kind of the the things that that stood out for you I mean you mentioned Alvin the animation looked really good um but what was it that kind of set it apart from other shows because I said there were other shows out at that time especially other anime so was there something about cowboy bebop specifically in terms of the way that it did things that that resonated with you more than some of the other shows that you saw yeah, I
0: think it was. Um, thinking about the animation, I think it's like more realistic and more fluid than uh, than your average anime shows. Like, I think there's some instances where it's where it's not, especially like with a character like Ed, for example. Um, I think Ed can kind of sometimes fall into almost like anime cliches, like the weird faces and stuff like that. But for the most part, I felt like the movement of the characters was extremely human and fluid. Uh, and I think I must have taken a lot of fucking work and a lot of man hours and a lot of overtime to kind of just pull off because like even it even seems like my spikes just like walking and like its posture, you know what I mean, is different mm. from someone else like uh like Jet, for example. And it and it's all like kind of like the characterization, like it's all it's all in the body of the characters, and that, that shit's like super hard to do, it's not easy. You know what I mean, and something like Spike's posture when he's just walking about with like a cigarette in his mouth—it says a lot about who he is. You know what I mean? He's quite a relaxed, not really asked. But then when he's fighting, completely changes. He comes right to life.
2: Mm. mm. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, I definitely, I definitely agree with you in that. It's like um. It, it, yeah, like each person is a like not to each person like every everything that you see on screen in Bebop... I remember like reading like um because I got like the limited edition Blu-ray and there's like a little booklet in it. And I mean, this is something this is one of the things that that just got me hooked on the show even before I read this is that if you watch it and everything seems to have some form of character or history, whether you know the history behind it or not, you just know that there's there's some story behind it. So for example, like um. You know spikes um spaceship the swordfish Two, like you just know there's a story behind it even if you never ever find out what story it is you just know that the way how he you know how he cares for him when he flies it and you know when it's when it's put on screen you just know there's a story behind it because it it just looks different or some people might you know you know might make a reference to it like you know the same way how in star wars when they make reference to han solo's um freighter and how how it doesn't move the same as like you know other freighters from 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 that period and stuff like that. But what you're talking about, like, you know, them the body language, nailed it. That's it. Like these these aren't characters in anime. These to me, these were people. Like you said, you know, like the way how how Spike holds a cigarette or the, the cigarette hangs from his mouth. Now it might seem like a cliche thing for people that haven't seen it. Like, you know, there's certain uh laws and rules to certain genres that you would you know that, you know, when you watch it. So for example, if you watch uh, a science fiction program or film or cartoon or whatever now they basically say that you have to have you know a laser gun that constitutes as like you know one of the fundamental laws of how is this a sci-fi movie or how is this a sci-fi story or oh, there has to have a laser gun in it or has to have um you know a spaceship uh, and then basically you know cowboy is essentially it's a, it's is a detective you know film noir storyline but the way how he holds the cigarette, or the cigarette hangs from his mouth, even though it sticks within the laws of that type of genre, it still feels natural. It's not—it doesn't feel forced. Um, I mean, that like you were talking about Ed. Like sometimes, even when Ed falls into like the you know the caricature of being that stereotypical funny you know anime kid, it, it doesn't even really go that down that path. It just it, there's nothing dissimilar to the way how Ed acts and makes me laugh, as to the way how Kramer from Seinfeld acts where like the way how he moves is basically how his character is and it's the same thing for ed ed is up in the clouds and you know how she thinks and how she talks is how she moves and it stays within that character It's like for example you know like when you watch the whole series there's no break in how any of these people act unless they've basically been forced to react to something differently so like you said let's say you know if um, if spike loses his call there's one episode where he gets angry, and it doesn't feel out of character. It feels like the next progression of how this person would react in that situation. It, it's so, like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, <laughs> my heart hurts. <laughs> Right. Well, for those of you
1: who, uh, I mean, are, are listening and don't know what it is we're talking about, Cowboy Bebop is um, a Japanese anime series. Um, as we said earlier, it was kind of launched sort of like late 1990s, um, April for Japan, and, and it was kind of October time that, that we got yeah. it kind of over yeah. here. Um, I came across it much shit around, I think, the same time you did, because I mm. think literally we were both excited to talk about this, yeah, this yeah, yeah, show, yeah, yeah. I remember, and we were both like... We kind of both kind of blurted out. Have mm. you seen this show called Club mm. by mm. And we're like, oh my god, have you seen it? Like, you know, and it was just, it was crazy. But anyway, the um, the show itself um is basically kind of like a futuristic um, I guess would you say a futuristic film noir? Because yeah, I mean, yeah, you yeah, mentioned yeah. film noir, yeah, yeah, yeah. It? You know, um, call it tech noir, uh, sci-fi tech noir. Yeah, I yeah. guess sci-fi tech noir is a good description. Yeah, and it um, uh, but it's got lots of different kind of um influences from sort of action movies to um horror uh horror yeah in some episodes to comedy in some episodes you know it depending on on which character you were focusing on at uh, at which time um and basically it's about these uh four individuals and a genetically enhanced super dog who are um stuck on a spaceship together um i effectively become um, intergalactic bounty hunters and, and work as uh, bounty hunters to, to kind of capture kim- criminals who are on the run. Um, the it's the series is kind of set in the future and it's a, a slightly lawless future so if you can imagine it's almost like a, a western in the sense that you know space has now become the wild west and um, you know these bounty hunters are basically the ones who, who go out and, and capture the people that are too difficult for the police to catch for one reason or another. Um, so, essentially, it's it's these characters' adventures as they go of trying to capture these criminals, but underneath all of that, you know, that's just the, the surface, underneath all of that, as, as Richard was kind of hinting at, there's so much going on with each and every character in, in um, the series, and... Um, there's so much going on with their arcs and things like that as well. I don't want to spoil too much um, details and, and, and go into too much detail about um, individual characters because I want those of you who have listened to this who haven't seen it to at least watch a couple of the episodes and, and, and try and you know get a sense of the flavor of what they were doing. Um, but really, this show, as, as I said, is is tremendously kind of groundbreaking. You know, um, Spike is is the the main character, a character called Spike Spiegel. Um, you know, as the boys have kind of touched on, he is kind of like your typical um, film noir hero slash antihero in a sense that he has a very kind of melancholy, laid back kind of exterior. But underneath that, there's a lot of emotion. And as Richard has also hinted at, there's a complex past behind him. Um, with Faye Valentine, you know, you have um, the femme fatale character, um, somebody, again, who has a very complex past. And somebody who, again, has a lot going on underneath her kind of super cold and super cool exterior. Um, You know, Jet is a is a former cop, um, and there's a whole backstory about how he kind of ends up on the bebop. That's you know brilliantly explored as well. Um, And then you have Edward. um, You know, a girl called Edward, which was was kind of odd back in 1998. Not so much now, but you know that was something that a lot of us never. had even heard of before um, and she is you know a technological genius and um, you know is a, a, an expert hacker as well and then it said she has a, a pet called Ayn who it's hinted at several times in, in the show is actually a lot more intelligent than your average dog and it suggested that Ayn that has been genetically engineered but um, they never quite go um, fully down the road of, of exploring and explaining that so these disparate kind of characters are are the people who who make up um the crew of, of the bebop which is the name of their ship and um as said they, they kind of go on these adventures across the galaxy but um you know it just covers so much in terms of of what it's able to do um guys what's your favorite episodes do you have any kind of standout episodes that that you love watching again and again from the show i can think of like what well two there's two i can't remember the name of one of them the other one i know the name of because like i it just I love that episode, but um yeah, Rich will start with you, man. Do you have a favorite episode?
2: Yeah, I mean, th- there's literally not one episode that I can't watch, um can't, can't not watch, but it's the the first two parter, which is was that is that ballad? Um, yes, ballad of, for fallen um, angels. Oh
1: God, I forgot. Is it ballad for fallen
2: an angels? Is it symphony for the devil?
1: you know i'm going to look it up yeah yeah okay you look it up yeah, yeah. so
2: basically it's also just to let you know that basically each episode is named after a famous song or a style of music uh so like uh, i mean that i mean we, at some point i think we actually will need to dedicate a whole show to this show um because it, it it's that deep so uh, music plays a very very big part of the show as well and it also adds uh character to everything it's um The same way how some people who might read a Batman comic would say that as much as Batman is a character and everyone else is, the same thing goes for Gotham city. Gotham city is a living, breathing thing that helps to push the the, the character of of Batman forward. Yeah. So, so my favorite episode is basically uh, ballad of fallen angels, which goes into sympathy for the devil. And it's the first time where you see Spike Spiegel come out of his comfort zone. And it's, and it's, it's, just, it's, just a, it's just a beautiful thing to watch that like, I mean, the thing about the characters that we were talking about is that, that Jay just basically just gave you like a brief breakdown of, of how the characters are. And like I said, once again, how they all visually look isn't necessarily what's going on inside their head or how they're feeling. Probably the only person who actually stays true to how they look and how they actually feel and live their life throughout the show is Ed. And it's like, I've actually just had a brain fart. Like, Ezra is, is basically just so fluid in everything and the way how she moves and everything like that. That's essentially how she lives life. And when you meet her parents and stuff like that, or when you meet her parents, it just kind of makes sense. That's the reason why, to a certain degree, I'm not going to make it put any spoilers, why they probably are the only person that has a, what you'd say, um, a normal happy ending. But um, yeah, but Spike basically ends up having, meeting a, a guy that he um, used to be good friends with and used to do some badness with back in the day. And it just brings out a side of Spike that's only hinted at uh, before these episodes. And it's, it, it's, it's just, like I said, it's, it's just amazing because you see him go from somebody who's quite laid back to somebody who's literally willing to die because, not because it's the right thing, but because he feels it's fate. And that's the thing that runs throughout this show. It's, this show is about people living in a particular period of time. So any information that you might find out about them, that's all you're ever gonna find out. There's never a sequel made, you know, that people have tried to make, you know, try to petition for sequels and things like that. It's not about that. This is a, a family that you basically end up living with for 24 episodes and is much like real life. You know, I've known Jason since I was 16. But there's still stories that Jason can tell me about when he was younger or sometimes we will not be hanging around around each other that I wouldn't know. And that's how life is. So when you see sometimes when you see these people come out of their comfort zone, you're like, wow, like what made this person flip? And I think nothing works more than when you see Spike lose the plot because he's the most laid back person on the ship. His favorite things are like if he's not training, then he's basically eating. If he's not eating, then he's basically sleeping. And so yeah, so so th- those bits, th- those two episodes where he meets his arch nemesis, it really, it really, it really gets me going, man. Mm,
1: mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was um, those two episodes were were kind of the perfect example of of um, the kind of quality, of the writing in in those shows because mm. they they work perfectly as a bridge, even though they kind of they're almost two separate stories in a way. Um, obviously the connective tissue is there with um, the other character the, this nemesis uh, yeah. character who, who reappears um but you know the the, the plot threads of, of, of the two episodes are still separate and yet because of how skillfully it's written you know you it feels like it's one whole big episode even though it, it isn't necessarily one big episode you know what I mean um so yeah that that's a that's a that's a cool last episode that I remember that. Alf, is there any episodes that stand out specifically for you, or things that you remember? Yeah, the
0: the one that stands out for me the most is um, I don't know the name of the episode, but you'll know when I describe it. It's the one where they kind of do their alien episode. Um, (laughs) Yeah, they the ship, and it's kind of like this symbiote from Spider-Man, and it's kind of like this kind of like sludge slime kind of thing. Um, But then when you find out kind of more about it. It's, it's just a bit odd because it's just a bit because the episode is kind of like it's all confined to the bebop and you know you're going through the episode and it, and it seems kind of familiar, familiar because it does kind of like run pretty much like uh like alien or something like that and and yeah it, it kind of just comes at a point where like up until that point the, the show really hadn't done anything like that and so kind of like you know you're watching it and when you find out as to where the alien came from. You're just kind of like what what <laughs> like but you know he's kind of having a laugh mm-hmm. at the end of like, the, that reveal uh so that that was always one that stuck out uh like Richard was saying about ed uh yeah that's heartbreaking but like, that ending for ed um i think it's really especially when Cormie starts playing yeah. um i thought it was really kind of like just really heartfelt and like but obviously you couldn't have ed at that climax, or the climax of the show, because it would be it kind of be too raw, you know? What I mean, so I'm yeah, glad that yeah. they did, did do that with Ed. Uh, that's a great moment. Um, and I also like the one with, um, uh, you know, when they're trying to find the Betamax player. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I really like that one Classic. as well because uh, uh, I won't say who who we find things out about. But um, but yeah, they need to find a BMX player, and they actually get a VH. They get the wrong one at one point, yeah. uh, Because they get a VHS. Um, but yeah, when when they actually manage to watch the tape, uh, and someone is able to see, well, or remember, or actually see part of their past that they that they can't actually remember, um, because they've um, they kind of have a, a bit of a loss of memory, but they know more about themselves as to who they were, and well, when and where they're actually from.
1: Mm. Hmm. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant Two brilliant episodes there, folks uh, Make sure you check them out Now, for me, there is probably two episodes That really kind of stand out for me um, And they're both very, very different from each other And yet they kind of tell you everything you need to know About that show and, and why that show is so great Because I guess the, the, that's what it is that makes the show so great Is that its, a, it's ability to kind of genre hop from episode to episode you know, one episode can be really funny. Another episode could be really emotional. Another episode could be exciting and another episode can be scary. So I've picked up two different, um, episodes. The first one is, um, an episode called, uh, Mushroom Samba. Mm. Now, um, I know Richard knows it <laughs> because he knows that's my favorite because <laughs> I love that episode as well. Um, because it's one of the the few in the series that, that focuses on, um, Ed and Einstein, the dog. And, um, basically through you know the um throughout the course of the episode um ed comes across these mushrooms and kind of wants to find out you know what these mushrooms do Um, now it turns out these mushrooms are uh, a quite sought after drug that um, several drug dealers are, are interested in as well and, um, but Ed has no idea what the effects are so she kind of experiments on the crew at the Keep of the Bebop and feeds them the mushrooms um, and they all go through various different stages of, of trippery that is just brilliantly done um, visually as well um, and it takes the, the, the main characters out of their comfort zones too. Um, and also because like i said we meet like various different kind of rogues in that episode and and they're absolutely hilarious there's another um bounty hunter a, a black woman i can't remember her name now um in the story but she's a bounty hunter um and she does like some crazy stuff in that episode um and it's just brilliant it's just so funny like it, the the comedic timing that that's pulled off in that episode with the characters and with um the, the writing is, is just so good Um, And as I said, with with Ed and Ayn being two of the more lighter characters in the series, it was it was just such fun to have an episode where it was kind of like a caper almost, you know, Mm. Um, like an old school kind of Hollywood caper movie um, in in, told inside of sort of 25 minutes. Um, And yeah, it was just brilliant. So I I absolutely love that episode. Um, And the other one, which is again, another one Richard will know very, very well, and I'm sure you know it as well, Alvin, is uh, Le Faux. Um, which is, again, to show you the the complete contrast between what that series was capable of doing, is probably one of the scariest and and most tense things I've I've ever seen. Um, Basically, in that episode, the lead character, Spike Spiegel, um, goes up against a hitman who seems to be basically invincible. Um, He has the ability to fly somehow. Um, He kind of floats. He dresses like a demonic clown in a way, so he's he's a bit like um, Pennywise from It um he doesn't you know bullets don't seem to work spike tries his best moves and gets absolutely destroyed by this guy he has a manic kind of smile on his face and he's always laughing as well in this kind of horrific way and I remember this is you know back um back in the days when I still used to do a bit of smoke a bit of weed and stuff and what you mean like like yesterday for me yeah (laughs) (laughs) and like you know, when you're high and you're watching that episode, man, wow, it's scary. Like, in, in fact, it is, you don't even need to be yeah, high. Yeah, Because that need to. that that's just that's doing it a disservice to say that, to be honest. So, yeah, the truth is, you don't need to be high to be scared by that episode because that episode is just creepy as hell. The tension is is just palpable because, as said, that by this point, you're you know, it's quite late in the series, so you're very well invested and you know Spike as a character well, and you know that he's a guy who's not gonna he's not going to back down from this challenge, even though, you know, you as an audience member are looking at it and you're like, Spike, you're outgunned. Like, you're going to get killed. Like, Mm. don't be stupid. You know, don't try and go and take this guy head on. And, and, you know, as the episode kind of unfolds, especially early on, you know, Spike gets his ass handed to him because as said, he doesn't know what he's dealing with, with this guy. Um, and so he kind of, has to you know address kind of parts of himself and and the darker parts of himself in order to beat this this um this villain um he kind of has to go to within you know the dark side within himself and you know richard mentioned the the episode before where they kind of touch upon his dark past and um the kind of things he had to do previously in his in his previous life as as a gangster for the red dragon syndicate so um, you know, there's a very deep and, and dark side to him, even though he has that kind of melancholy kind of laid back, I'm not bothered about anything kind of appearance on the outside. Um, so yeah, this episode is one that really stretches into the limits. So I, I, I love that episode, man. It's, it's brilliant. It's brilliant so um guys i mean we've given people quite a few episodes there to, to check out I, I guess we should probably talk a little bit about legacy as well for cowboy bebop so um what do you guys see as kind of the the lasting legacy for the show in terms of um the other things that it's influenced i mean you mentioned one earlier alvin so i guess you can go first but um how do you kind of see the influence of cowboy bebop today
0: hmm <clears> hmm <throat> How do I see the influence of it today? Oh, that's a difficult question, actually. I mean, i I've, me I've seen. Well, now I was just about just to answer, but I avoid the animal. i animal anime I've seen. I th- I think, kind of like it will just be the quality of it, like literally, in terms of writing, music. The animation, just the whole cohesion of the thing. I can't say I've seen anything else like that. That is just one kind of like perfectly formed pizza. That's that's the only way I can describe <laughs> it. <laughs> and because and, like because li- we've oh, you, all watched tons of anime, but I can't I can't think of anything that as is as solid as that. I think the only thing for me that comes close as having like the the style and whatnot and kind of the story and the characters, is probably like Samurai Champloo. And that's oh, yeah. not me saying any other character, any other animes, on aren't, aren't as good or aren't close to it. But it it's kind of I don't want to call it perfect, but it fucking kind of is. And not only that, it it kind of worked for a Japanese audience, but. It worked really well for a non-japanese audience so again that's like you don't have to be a weeb to be into cowboy bebop or enjoy cowboy bebop but for some people it's overrated but i I don't i don't think it's overrated at all i think Mm. people always mention it because it's just the cohesion of the thing like the idea is solid and it and it it everything complements one one another like the music complements the style and so on and so forth and it and it all just like I said perfect pizza man.
1: Mm-hmm. And actually, yeah. Do, sorry, Rich. Just before you jump mm. in, um, the, I forgot to obviously mention something quite important about this anime. And one thing that for me, I think now I look back on it and and um, on some of the other animes I've seen before and and things like that. This show is the first one that really kind of showed you the importance of music to um, a a movie or to a piece of tv Um, and in particular to um, this anime series and how music can tell as much as a story as a story um as the dialogue and and you know what you're seeing on the screen is and so for that we've got big up the you know the composer of of the show called yoko kano Mm -hmm. um who worked with a a japanese jazz jazz band called the seatbelts um who created that iconic theme song that that you hear at the beginning of of the show and also um the the closing um theme song as well the real folk yes yeah um you know and uh, between
2: you and i i think we've got like the entire collection of that, yeah, that well i think one of us like, like, I, I think i yeah, used to I have it and i lost it as well then, luckily yeah. i got the whole the whole album with alvin that um i mean like the, the album itself is like split into volumes right alvin how many tracks is it a hundred and yeah. how many is it 100? I even, all i know is that there's fucking loads yeah. like
0: just if you include the movie as well yeah. and the alternate versions like the remixes and all that yeah. You're going to be sitting there for at least a fucking day, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> an entire yeah. day. I mean, twenty-four hours probably. I, I, th- I think. Knows? I think there's over a hundred you know, tracks. There's, there's
2: literally definitely. Over 100,
1: 100. Tracks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. For um, sure. Yeah. For sure. So yeah, yeah. That was to say. But sorry, Rich. Um, legacy. Um, oh so, yeah, yeah. For you, you know, what what do you see as the the legacy of Cowboy Bebop? How do you see it having you know influenced popular culture going forward and, and things like that? Well,
2: well, the thing is, I I personally think that anybody that watches anime now that anime has some way somehow been influenced by bebop like i mean if i have to if i had to give it a rating i could you know i'll give it an a plus it is one show that i can literally watch from beginning to end um and like i said and, it, and it's because it does everything so well the animation uh the action the comedy uh the music um the design like everything is just it's it's just perfectly done and um and the thing, the reason why it works so well, and the reason why its legacy has lasted so long is because the thing about the show itself is that it it itself pays homage to everything else that has come before it, but it does it in the best possible way. So you know they know how they say that, um, I think it was the saying that imitation is the best form. It's a serious form of flattery. There you yeah. go, see? Now there's a reason why Jay's the brains of the, of the operation. <laughs> All right, and, um, and it's one of those things like, I mean, for example, let's say like when Independence Day the film comes out. I know I might be going to be a bit of a tangent, but stick with me. Independence Day will come out, and then you'll always be like you get your DVD bargain basement version that some small little studio will try to put out to you know, you know to try and cash in, right? And, and then it will just basically just you know like I said just throw out all the, the sci-fi, you know, um, cliches into that film or into that story or whatever it is that that you know that that's being ripped off. Bebop looks at every single genre. And takes the heart and soul of it and uses it to its own strengths. So it's not like it's not basically like a, a direct ripoff. For, for example, like when Alvin was talking about the episode where, you know, it, it's kind of like based on Alien. It's not a direct ripoff of Alien. It pays homage to the reason why Alien is such a good film. And, and it seems to do that throughout the whole series. And so in doing that, that's the reason why its legacy is still felt now, is because it's crafted its own voice and 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 it's and it's and it's just done perfect um the the director ryan johnson uh basically the guy who just did you know the latest star wars movie whether you're a fan of his or not i would definitely say go and check out some of his movies but the closest i think that i've ever got to a bebop live action film is ryan johnson's first film called brick which stars joseph gordon levitt and his second film called looper and there are blatant like you know references that you can see on the screen in which you can you know you know it it looks like bebop and ryan johnson has actually gone on record as saying that he's a a huge fan of of cowboy Bebop the movie and at some point he was slated to direct it with um with china reeves um but until that happens you know we, we just have to watch the tv show but um yeah I think that the legacy is still felt now like I said a lot of people say that you know it's overrated and things like that but the the shows that they probably watch are somehow influenced by them whether it be like I said the animation or the music or the way how stories are told
1: Mm. absolutely I would agree with that I mean the the fingerprint of of cowboy bebop is everywhere if you are an an otaku who likes um, an anime series with a good soundtrack um, you can probably thank Cowboy Bebop for that because they were the ones who, who really kind of invested in, in music as much as uh, um, as Richard, you know, mentioned. Ryan Johnson is a big fan, so if you're a big fan of Ryan Johnson and, and his work and the things that he's done, then you should be watching Cowboy Bebop because that was, you know, he specifically, as Richard said, has, has referenced Cowboy Bebop several times and talked about how much the show means to him and and, and how important it was to him. Um, you know so legacy wise you know the fact as you said that we're still talking about it 20 years later kind of shows you you know how important um an anime series it is um so even if you're not a fan of it you have to kind of acknowledge what you know this series has done and what it's been able to do um it's in terms of the the movie adaptation as richard mentioned there were that you know there's been a movie adaptation in development hell unfortunately for about i think 15 years it's um, gone through various different directors hands, various script writers hands. Uh, and there's part of me that kind of feels like, yeah, maybe it needs to just stay there, to be honest, so that, you know, we we still have the anime series and that we encourage people to watch the anime series. So um, I hope that happens. But um, in terms of the director of uh, Cowboy Bebop, the main director is a, a gentleman called Shinichiro Watanabe. Um, as I said, for Otaku who are listening, they'll know that name because they know that he was involved in a Macross Plus series um, mm-hmm. before uh, he got involved with Cowboy Bebop. Um, and his work after that includes, as Alvin mentioned, um, an, an episode of the Animatrix. Um, also, arguably the second greatest animated series of yeah. all time in, in *Samurai Champloo*. Um, you know, and he's gone on to to direct uh, other animes after that as well. Although I don't think he's worked recently in the last five years from, from what I saw. When did *When Did Terror and Resonance* come out? Um, *Terror and Resonance*, I think, was 2012, wasn't it? Yeah, that's, so yes, yeah, has yeah, so been when... a one. So yeah, Terran Resonance is probably the last thing. I mean, Terran Resonance, I I haven't watched yet, but um, it's quite ambitious in terms of the the kind of things that he wanted to achieve with with that anime. Um, I personally didn't quite enjoy it. I watched the first episode and was like, I couldn't get into it at all. Mm. But it does remind me of another anime of his that I did watch as well, um, called... Space Dandy was really good. Was yeah. was a lot of fun, but Kids on the Slope. Oh yeah, again I another one. From with, yeah, I I need to lend you my um Blu-ray. But Kids on the Slope is 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 really like quite astonishing in, in terms of um, some of the things it achieves visually and of what he's able to do with that story. So um, definitely something to check out. But all right, um, we're going to have to, I think, head towards the exit door with this one. So, um, But before we do, let me give a, a couple of shout outs as well. Um, first of all, let me give a shout out to uh, Home Video Hustle podcast. Um, those guys got involved on the Cowboy Bebop, um, discussion as well and they said that it was one of the shows that that got them into anime um so again that kind of tells you how important that show is so thanks a lot guys for getting involved um also a uh, big up to tam tam the man from the broken elevator podcast he said um it was one of the first dvds that he bought was a cowboy bebop box set um and he thinks it's probably the first show that he ever binged watched over um a couple of days so tam thanks a lot for the contribution man big up to yourself um, also, we've got to do a couple of quick shout outs as well. Um, uh, big shout out to, uh, okay, it's a list of people, so I'm just gonna run through it real quick, yeah? <laughs> uh, big shout out to Miss A Naturally, um, Yelzebot, Yugo uh, Cosplay, The Gooncast, um, J and Brady, Krempogs, The Power Nerds, Kung Fu Drive-In, The Puckies, Hashtag Blackout, and PTO Unlimited as well. Um, and a couple of big birthday shout outs as well very big happy birthday to our brother big joe um who always listens and a big happy birthday as well to glenn from glenn and her podcast okay um guys did you want to add anything
2: uh how long we got
1: (laughs) (laughs) not long enough bro so richard um, we can't (laughs) do that alvin anything you wanted to add bro before we kick out good i'm all right yeah all right cool man well um where can people find you at bro uh at big a85gl on twitter
0: and instagram
1: Wicked, wicked. Um, well, we're out here. I mean, you know where we're at. I said listen to the um the end of the podcast and you'll find out where you can subscribe to this one and where you can get in touch with us via email and social media and everything else. So yeah, we're out of here, folks. Um so until next time, stay safe and we'll see you, Space Cowboy. Richie, say goodbye. You're gonna carry that weight. Yeah. Alvin, say goodbye.
0: See you later.
2: All right, well, peace.
1: <laughs> If you like what you just heard, why don't you follow us online? You can find us on Twitter at wulongtalks.com, on Facebook at wulongtalks, and on Instagram at wulongtalks. We also have our blog, which we update uh, kind of regularly, and you can find us there at www.wulongtalks.com. If you have any ideas for topics or would like us to feature your geek-based products or business on our show, you can always get in touch with us via email at wulongtalkspodcast at gmail.com.